Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from March, A Tale of Salmon and Swedes, The Glothic Tales, Book 4, written by Derek Haynes. The very unexpected fourth book in the Glothic Tales trilogy. Quick, March. The planet Earth needs to be saved. Not from alien attack, nuclear destruction, or even being hit by a misguided comet. No, Earth needs to be saved from making millions of years of painful losses for Gloth, and it falls to March Gregorian, eldest son and heir to February the twenty-ninth, the supreme potentate of the twelve sun systems of Gloth, to find a way to finally make Earth profitable. The obvious starting point in such a difficult assignment is, of course, to do some quick research and then ascertain the most lucrative tradable commodity a planet has to offer. Once that is clear, simply arrange to export a whole lot more of it and the problem is solved. As March prepares to make his first journey to Earth, he is sure he knows which Earth product will solve the problem. Salmon. Unfortunately for March, all does not go well on the salmon front, and he discovers all too quickly that Earth is not an easy place to manage, understand, or to squeeze a profit from. Worried about losing face with his father by returning to Gloth empty-handed, March fears that his salmon failure may lead to serious doubts about his ability to remain heir to the supreme potentate. Luckily, however, his fears of losing his right to the throne evaporate in a flash when he stumbles upon a remarkable alternative solution. Swedes. Don't panic if you haven't heard the first three Glothic tales, as all is explained in March, so you won't miss a trick. Listen to March, the hum-along, foot-tapping, fourth hilarious Glothic tale. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from March. Contrary to beliefs on other planets, being a fool, and especially a young royal male fool on Gloth, carries a great deal of honor and prestige. March 1. At a loss. How long has this been going on? March asked. As the Deputy Undersecretary for Earth Containment, retired Major Erst Humpf started his first briefing of the air in March's office. For a Glothian, Humpf was rather short and round, and, unusually, had small, deep, navy blue eyes. In most other respects, though, he was quite normal, especially when it came to having the qualities necessary to keep a job for life in the Glothic public service, with, of course, its generous allowances and regular lavish dinners. Apart from a few tit-for-tat skirmishes in the few hundred years after colonization, then a couple of minor planet-wide wars, it's been going on for quite some time. They seem to have become rather pacifist in their attitudes. That's hard to believe, especially considering their genetics. They should be biting each other's heads off by now, March replied, leaning back a little in his deep red leather chair and quickly pushing his long blonde hair back from his forehead with one hand as he twirled his pen around his long fingers in the other. Hasn't any of the historical transfer stuck in their heads? Uh, we've tried. We've had their libraries and universities filled with their earlier Rudean history along with tribal and religious hatreds, 
but nothing has seemed to bring them to the point of profitably prosecuting decent conflicts, and therefore there's little trade or profit for us. There are so many new initiatives being hatched every day on Earth to entrench this odd advancement of peace that... But if there are no substantial conflicts, wealth can't move efficiently back and forth and increase in value. This is more serious than I thought. What are our people on Earth doing about this? They're trying, sir. Endeavoring to ferment hatred between Earth's continents, countries, and islands by whatever means. But no sooner have they succeeded in finding a political, racial, or religious difference to exploit than the legislators on Earth gather together in planet-wide organizations and usually find a peaceful process to undermine our efforts. It's becoming quite frustrating. So where are we at? Losses continue to mount. 11% down, approximately year-on-year year over the last 60 Earth years, so it's down around 79% in real terms over this period. If domestic export production from Earth is factored in, that is, mostly in the form of salmon and caviar, from which we derive an 800% gross margin on wholesaling throughout the 12 sun systems, it's still down a little over 68%. March leaned forward taking a few seconds to find his next question as Humph wriggled uncomfortably in his seat under the gaze of March's piercing gray eye and his other not-so-piercing green one. That's not acceptable, is it? No, sir. And your recommendations are? Humph wriggled in his seat again, unsure whether his answer would satisfy the cocky young heir to the supreme potentate whom he had only met once previously at a Grand Council cocktail party to welcome the new Lacertilian ambassador. Gloth revered Lacertilians, a mildly reptilian species from the Seventh Sun System, not only for their eternal allegiance to Gloth and the Supreme Potentate, but also because of their fame in training and providing the very best interstellar pilots in the entire Twelve Sun Systems. Lacertilian men were also extremely handsome, which made them quite popular with the ladies although it must be said in the same breath that Lacertilian women certainly attracted their fair share of admiring male attention, too. This thought, however, didn't enter Hump's head as he hurriedly replied. The Grand Council Subcommittee on Earth Control is yet undecided on its recommendations, sir. I have been informed, however, that another meeting of the subcommittee has been scheduled for early next year to consider the appropriateness of whether or not to make non-binding recommendations. Should I point out to you that we are firmly entrenched in early this year at this point in time? Yes, sir. These sensitive matters do tend to move quite slowly, Humph said, and then quickly added, But surely, sir. That sounds like a load of utter hogwash to me, if you don't mind me being so frank. Humph didn't wriggle at the rebuke, but instead sat taller in his seat and squinted his eyes, as if steeled by the insult. I will have you know, sir, that the subcommittee works assiduously for the betterment of Gloth and in its travails over uncountable years, has served the Grand Council and Supreme Potentate with the utmost distinction, and returned a 70% downturn in current profit, which totally fails to help in starting to offset the considerable losses we have made from this whole Erd and Earth fiasco. Hardly an outcome worthy of defending, I would say, March said leaning back in his chair again and putting his hands behind his head, a sign that Humph understood immediately as a nonverbal challenge to his authority, and that he had probably got off on the wrong foot with the Supreme Potentate's young, brash, but eldest and therefore powerful son. 
As you say, sir. Do you have any briefing notes for me? March asked, and Humph took the question to be a precursor to ending their brief meeting. I have this, sir, if you have not read it already, that is, Humph said, knowing that March probably hadn't, as he passed him a center-coil book, which was, in fact, a notepad-sized piece of thin, translucent plastic film that, when tapped with one's thumb, opened the title page to the beginning of a never-ending story. March accepted it when Humph handed it to him, and tapped. "'What's the?' he asked, as the word flashed up in big, bold, bright blue capitals on the screen. "'The History of Earth, sir. It's the highly confidential, fully extended version, so it includes all of the prior references and entries relevant to Erd, with their new adaptation to accommodate the modern and alternate history of Earth, including the coalescence of ancient Erdian and Earth archaeology and how it has been translated to interlace completely with modern human habitation on the planet. Right, so they believe it all then, March said, as he flicked through the first few pages of text, images, graphs, and video recordings. We gather so, sir. Who's looking after our interests there now? March asked, without looking up from the screen, as he watched a video about a famed Earth musical group. Triscolia Munchk. Right, March muttered, seemingly more interested in the video he was watching than Humph's reply. And what is... Abba. I'm sorry, have no idea at all, sir. Right, March said very slowly, as he continued to watch the video, turning up the volume a little to listen to the music. My, my, at Waterloo, Napoleon did surrender. Oh, yeah, and I have met my destiny in quite a similar way. The history book on the shelf is always repeating itself. Waterloo. I was defeated. You won the war. March turned down the volume and looked up at Humph. Would you please inform Triscolia Munchk that I would like to visit, um, is it a him or her? She is a very refined, educated, and respected lady, sir. She is originally from Leptosions, the small belt of habitable asteroids in the outer reaches of Sun System 12. After serving as the Leptoscion's ambassador on the Grand Council for many years, she accepted this challenging assignment and has done extraordinarily well for a very long time now. Yes, well, anyway, would you please inform her that I will be paying her an extended visit to get an understanding of this awful Earth situation firsthand, he said, as if dismissing Humph's comments, with his eyes glued to the still image of Abba. Extended, sir? open-ended. That will require authorization from Glothic High Command, sir, as any visit to Earth is considered quite a risk to take, for anyone. But for an extended visit of a few days or more, I would imagine that it would be deemed to be quite an unpredictable situation to manage, considering also the difficulty in simply getting on and off the planet. Uh, and if I may say so, one that Glothic High Command may consider to be too perilous for someone in your esteemed position, sir? I will probably be spending around a year on Earth. Well, an Earth year, that is. I doubt whether Glothic High- It's not up to them. My father, the Supreme Potentate, has ordered me to rectify the situation on Earth. Do you wish to argue with his decree? March asked looking up briefly from the paused image of Abba, and in particular of Agnitha in her sexy blue satin jumpsuit. 
Of course not, sir. I will make the necessary inquiries. Very well. Thank you. Let me know as soon as possible, March said, and waited for Humph to leave. Once he had, and had closed the door, March resumed his video and turned up the volume, quite loud. Waterloo, promise to love you forevermore. Waterloo, couldn't escape if I wanted to. Waterloo, knowing my fate is to be with you. Waterloo, finally facing my Waterloo. My, my, I tried to hold you back, but you were stronger. Oh, yeah, and now it seems my only chance is giving up the fight. And how could I ever refuse? He hit the stop button, rolled up the screen, put his T-H-E in his pocket, and smiled. Traveling around the twelve sun systems of Gloth is a relatively simple everyday occurrence. Glothic cosmic cruisers, which are massive shining balls of silver that can carry a population of passengers equal to that of a large city at multiple speeds of light and offer the finest in passenger service and interplanetary or inter-sun system traveling comfort, fly between gigantic spaceports, which are liberally located in all of the twelve sun systems. While famed for their speed, efficiency, reliability, and comfort, even in third-class economy, for those in positions of power or who can afford it, luxury class aboard a Glothic cosmic cruiser is considered a must, as it is the only place in the entire universe where one can be served and savor the epicurean ecstasy of either the divine twice-baked begrogal fillets or the extraordinary onglets of turd with urethra juice. Both sumptuous rarities are always served with frightfully expensive chilled Fozoxley. For those who may not be familiar with these culinary delights, Fozoxley is akin to champagne, but it is made from the fermented liquid contents of the man-eating Oxley pyreid flower that is found solely on the planet Skid. As the Oxley pyreid blooms only once every hundred years or so, and at last count, the last 112 living plants were being kept alive on a modified diet of specially cloned, non-intelligent, headless humanoids, Fozoxley is indeed an irresistible indulgence for those who can afford it. The Bagrogal is an elk-like animal with six legs, and when fully grown, is adorned with four-meter-high, spiraled ivory horns, which are considered one of the most valuable materials in the universe. It is a very rare, wild animal found only on Mengla Coxa Mingla, a small, oddly oval-shaped planet in the seventh sun system. Many have tried in vain to raise the Begrogal on other planets, but replicating the gravity and atmosphere of Mengla Coxa Mingla has proved impossible, as it is layered, which means that it changes in composition and density with each centimeter or so of height from the ground. While some have had very limited success in raising the Begrogal, the normal gravity of other planets acted very badly on the Begrogal's horns, which, because of the drag of gravity, grew rapidly and vertically downwards, and as a result, pushed at the ground, tipping the Begrogal off its feet with every step its six legs tried to take. There was little future to be had in Begrogal farming when the animal could not stand up after the age of three months. The poor beasts withered away once losing their ability to stand and walk, and therefore died before coming to maturity. Hence the rarity of these delectable fillets. 
The other choice on the menu is the only known three-legged bird in the whole 12 sun systems. The turd is a large, flightless creature with a short, stone-like beak and dull gray plumage that has the feel of industrial-grade sandpaper. It is hardly a pretty bird, but it is found in reasonable numbers on three planets in the 12th sun system. While its flesh is considered inedible due to the fact that no matter how it is cooked, it smells like raw sewerage and is as tender as concrete, there are, quite remarkably, two very small parts of the fowl that are absolutely divine. The onglets are two tiny muscle pillars that adjoin either side of the diaphragm of the turd, which, when sautéed gently, are extremely tender and have a taste not dissimilar to chocolate chip cookies. These small delicacies are traditionally served with a juice, which is made by drying and then steeping the urinal tract from the bird for a 12-month period in tepid Fozoxley, and then the resulting curd is strained, reduced, and slightly thickened before serving. While the Glothic Cosmic Cruiser's interstellar traveling comfort and convenience, or luxury bordering on insanely expensive decadence for those who can afford it, is available to every living creature in the twelve sun systems of Gloth, it is completely unknown to a tiny minority. For the creatures of Erdean extraction, who populate the planet Earth, they have no inkling whatsoever of Cosmic Cruisers or twice-baked Bagrogal fillets. Due to the protective force field surrounding their little blue planet, they are completely cut off from any contact at all with outside worlds. For the scholarly inhabitants of Earth, their rudimentary scientific understanding has led them to identify the Glothic-installed force field as a natural radioactive phenomena and have even given it a name, the Van Allen Belt. Had March looked up this entry in his T.H.E., he may have been surprised that it is fabled that this name was given in honor of a famous rock band. Apparently, ABBA has not been so revered as to have a heavenly body named after them. Yet. While it must be said that earthlings have been curious and extremely resourceful, their attempts at trying to understand the mysteries of the cosmos around them have been stymied by their unbeknownst to them, Glothic rulers. During the last fifty or so years, Earth has managed to launch a huge number of space probes and satellites in a quest to answer a pile of ultimate, yet unanswerable questions they have. Unfortunately for them, though, each and every one has been intercepted by their controllers on Gloth and reprogrammed to send back cryptic data and messages that only serve to prove that they are indeed totally alone in the universe. One daring set of missions by Earth included trying to land men on their one and only sterile moon, but as this was well beyond the force field, they were unsuccessful, as they were intercepted well before their destination. In Gloth's favor, though, they tried their very best to be tolerant of the endeavor, even going as far as sending back fake images of success and assisting in safely returning the courageous astronauts, complete with reprogrammed brains, which all had coherent memories of the success of their landing and walking on the moon, and playing golf. It was a nice gesture. Apart from these few attempts, though, Earth was completely removed from the rest of the twelve sun systems, as it was still considered by Gloth to be a planet inhabited by hostile and threatening creatures who contained the genetic code that had wreaked such havoc on Gloth, and especially Glothic royalty, over thousands of generations. While Gloth did not ever want that to happen again, 
they were just as determined, as Glothians always are, to make a profit from the situation, come what may. March knew that going to Earth would be an uncomfortable journey, and one that would require quite a logistical feat by Glothic High Command. While the first stage of his journey from Gloth to the spaceport in Sun System 5 would be in the comfort of luxury class aboard a cosmic cruiser, from there he would be ferried by Glothic High Command aboard a very uncomfortable Hoog battleship to a position just short of the permanent force field surrounding Earth. Deactivating the force field was impossible, as it would take at least two days to deactivate and then again to reactivate, and thus, during that time, it would give Earth an unencumbered view of the entire universe, which was exactly what Gloth didn't want to happen, even for a second. Due to this fact, entry into Earth's upper atmosphere was only possible by blasting a small, temporary hole in the field near one of Earth's poles, where the field was at its weakest. The entry hole would then only remain open for less than a second and a half before the force field automatically repaired itself. March's entry would be aboard a small six-man shuttle, which needed to be blasted from a Hoog's missile launcher with split-second timing and enter through the tiny temporary opening in the force field, which would be created by a warhead fired by the same Hoog a split-second before the shuttle. Once safely in orbit in Earth's lower atmosphere, he would be teleported down to the surface. Unless there were people to collect for a return journey, the pilot of the shuttle would return immediately and make the much more dangerous exit from the force field. This complex maneuver necessitates the shuttle gaining maximum velocity and then aiming at the exact same point in the force field that the Hoog mothership will fire a warhead. Approaching each other at 45 degrees, the shuttle has to slip through the blasted hole in less than a second after the warhead explodes. March leaned back in his chair, let out a deep sigh, and grabbed his T.H.E. from his pocket, as he hoped Glothic High Command would assign an experienced Lacertillian pilot for his mission to Earth. He entered ABBA into the search field of his T.H.E. center coil book, and then tapped on a very eye-catching entry, and Annie Fried began to sing. Money, 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 must be funny, in the rich man's world. Money, 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 always sunny, in the rich man's world. March was interrupted by his cumonic tour, which informed him noisily that he had been summoned to a private meeting with his father at 10.15 the next morning. That it was going to be his first private meeting with his father in over three years meant that it was probably reasonably important. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from March. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.